This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. We're sponsored by Neomodern.com, bringing concierge photo printing and framing to everyone with a smartphone. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neomodern, and grumpy old man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Rubin. How's it going? That's pretty good. I Like, I'm bummed that the audio is so weird for the last couple of recordings. Hopefully this is better. I know. I hope so. <sighs> but better things will come. Yeah. Hey, um, I thought since it's just the two of us, we could have a little talk about... Photography? That scared me for a second. <laughs> what did you think I was going to talk <laughs> oh, no, about? It just sounded really weird. You're like, I think, just I think, we, need I think we need to talk. And I was yeah. like, oh, it's like, okay, you're spirit. breaking me, uh, breaking what? up with me on air. <laughs> Ruben, sit down. Yeah. <clears throat> He's like, what? What would I do? What? What's going on? What's, what's about to happen? <laughs> Nothing's about to happen. No, I just, um, there was. Except an amazing conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the staff were in here the other night and we had a, a crit. We do these sort of, um, uh, public crits where people come by with their pictures and that's great and they did a really they hung a, a string up and each person would get up and put a bunch of pictures they were working on mm-hmm. on the line how many people came um there was probably about 10 people wow nine people yeah it was nice and and we had you know our naked wines wine yeah yeah and um people sat around and talked photography speaking of this some delicious rosé in the fridge right now i'm wondering are you gonna go you want to go dig into (laughs) that pause hold on (laughs) (laughs) pause from this message from our sponsors um cutting out the middleman while we're pimping here it's like we are in our hd buttercup room and and uh, it's very nice and and the crit was out on the fully workspaces people were on the tables oh really cool uh, so we're we're really using all the stuff that uh we have here. I would love to come to one of those. I think it's... Please do. I mean, I think that you learn so much about just shooting and work when you are able to review it. And even if you don't have the courage to present your own work, but just listening to the crit and like being part of that, it, it kind of takes the edge off, I, I think. think. I think people, regular people don't um, experience something like a crit. They don't go back through their pictures and have someone critique it right right right. and you grow and um i was really impressed by everybody there even there was such a range of kinds of photography and you forget you know you're kind of used to the way you do whatever you do you pull out your camera and you take a picture and each person would get up and talk and a lot of our staff were there Mm -hmm. and i just like i think it was one of the best sort of socializing moments we'd had it it was so much more personal than going and just i don't know going to a movie or playing a game right you're putting yourself out there and and you put your pictures out and talking about them it was and what would people say were they were they kind of giving a backstory to each photo or like the motivation or like their camera settings and there was a i I didn't go to to art school so i Mm -hmm. think they were following a kind of more traditional way that i think these things are done but Mm -hmm. someone would get up and talk for a few moments and then just let people talk about their pictures well i like that one because you're doing this and i don't that one doesn't work for me because it's the blurriness is distracting it's not like it has to be in sharp focus but the blurriness is distracting and i think this third one doesn't fit with the rest i'm going to put them in this order can i move yeah. them around and nice and did did everyone agree or were there sort of no, different opinions I don't know. there's like some i mean i think sometimes we agreed on certain things i guess that's true but mm-hmm. uh 
But the photographer was just taking it in. And yeah. at the end of their sort of presentation, everyone would applaud. It was really yeah. very civil. And nice. then they'd take their pictures down and the next person would do it. What was nice is that everyone printed their pictures. Like yeah. they started from prints. And how many did every person bring? Um, some people had six or seven or, ten, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they were small. They weren't eight by tens. They mm-hmm. were, you know, smaller than that, I guess. Uh, students are, you know, it's, it can be expensive to print, but mm-hmm. I would also say that's the only way to really look at your stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the staff get a great deal here. So yeah, I guess that's what they were doing, <laughs> but, but it, it, it sort of begged this question. Um, and people asked me like, how do I, like, what am I looking for in pictures? You know, mm-hmm. I'm sometimes a judge of, of our contests or whatever. Like what, how so do what I do look, look at, for? What, well, you know, something usually in one picture makes me want to look at more pictures by that artist. But I, I, I will start by looking at a lot of their work to kind of get a sort of that gestalt. Like, do I like how mm-hmm. this person sees things? Yeah. And um, usually that first instinct for me is, God, do I wish I took that? Like, do I wish, <laughs> not just did I wish I take it, uh, do, do I wish that I had taken the picture, but... Uh, is that person seeing things in a way that is not natural for me? Like, oh, wow, look how that's composed. Look how that's framed. So the first, I'd say the first things I'm sort of noticing are about the fundamentals of light and composition. Mm -hmm. Like, is it cool looking? Is it interesting looking? Does it, it it doesn't, it's just the, it's just table stakes, as they Mm -hmm. say. It just kind of gets me in the game that I look at it and it makes me feel like this person has a great, cool way of looking at the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's usually my my first place. Then I kind of look into an individual picture a little bit more. And what I want to see, and again, this is just my own, you know, yeah. my own sort of style. But like, photography is not just composing in the frame and painting with light, as we mm-hmm. often talk about. But you're stopping time, right. and I want to know if the picture, if the photographer, is really using that dimension of the photograph that right. they've caught something. Uh, and so if you're taking a picture of a landscape or a rock or something like that, time isn't necessarily a very strong component. I composed it, mm-hmm. but it's everything's static. You know, I'm just framing it up and taking this picture. Right. And t- to some degree, if anyone else was standing here, they might have taken that same kind of picture. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I'm looking at is did the composition and light is kind of where I start. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, I get to the issue of time. Did they really use time in the, in the photography? Um, and so did they catch something that was moving? And so that the, there was a dynamic happening and it was frozen in this composed way because mm-hmm. that's a lot harder. It's easy to take a picture of a still life. And I mean, relatively easy to compose objects that are not moving and get what you want to get. But when you're in the real world and everything's in motion, right. that's a little bit harder. So that's the where I, I, I get to very quickly. And then I'm wondering, does this photographer see the world in a way that um, makes me want to, I don't know, uh, un- know more who that person is? Like, mm-hmm. who who sees this? Who Whose life is this? Right. And um, if I can feel myself kind of curious about that person i want to know more about who who got these pictures that's a good sign for me you know um i I like that i mean i think that when there's movement that's sort of a i guess not not an easy element but it's like it's already telling a point of view or story and like that capture but then to see like what this person is thinking like why this or how do you see this you're getting that other side of the story it's like when you ask a friend a question that you think you know the answer to and then they say something completely unexpected and you're like 
really? Tell me more. I want to know more about what else. What do you think about this? What that's do you right. Think about that's this? what draws you into a conversation. Right. And the pictures are like a conversation. It's like I someone like is that. telling a story of some kind. You don't know if it's a real story or, right. or a fiction. It's always sort of constructed because of they've course. chosen these images. Mm-hmm. But is it a story I want to know more about? Like, right. is it a compelling story? Both the story that the photos are telling and the questions I have about the the, the life behind the pictures. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the, the things I throw together. Um, and, and yeah, there's just like this sort of series of questions. Did, you know, could this picture have been taken by anybody else? Yeah. You know, is it... So sometimes you'll see a picture and, um, you know, it's beautiful. But as, you know, as... Uh, um, Shelby was what? saying, Be- beauty is, is boring. Be- yeah. Beauty is boring, right? Um, very quickly, you get tired of this beautiful picture. So those those well-lit, well-composed pictures that mm-hmm. I started with, even, you know, if they're great, I will find that a, a week later, it doesn't, it, it, it's sort of dull. Yeah. Uh, like there's nothing more in it. I, I ask myself, do how long am I looking, can, can I look at this picture? Right. Like, I think it was Minor White who thought you couldn't even judge a picture that you didn't stare at for 20 minutes. Like there's some there's some kind of, I don't know if it's a rule, but like that was the way he thought about it. For me, I just want to know, like in 10 seconds, am I bored? Like have I seen enough? Do I already, am I right. ready to move on? Well, do you on? know the whole story? Do you, do you see the punchline? Do you see where it's going? Or do you, are you pulled into like lean in and know more? Yeah. And, and sometimes after 10 seconds or 20 seconds, I'm thinking, I just, I'm sort of seeing things I hadn't seen before mm-hmm. already, and now I'm compelled. Like, what if I give this more time? And that's a really important thing for a picture. Like, it might be beautiful. I might even want to know about the photographer. But the real litmus test for me on a, whether I love a photograph or not is whether I feel like I want to keep coming back to the picture. Well, what I like about this is I actually I think it's a great question we should ask more photographers that are more guests on the show because you know what do you see in a photograph in their own work and in others in other people's work and I think we have you know Catherine on you know just shortly and it'll be great to ask her that question. Like, well, what does do, she look for in photographs? Let, you know what let's do it. I think um, I don't know if this will be one show or two but uh, do you want to wind it down or do you want to just call her I up? I think just or? call her up. I think let's let's merge oh, it right in. Goodness we've got some technology done. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Reuben. How you doing? Doing really well today. Very, uh, very excited for this show. Yeah, and we had a kind of a short show the other day that we, we were did. kind of following on. We were talking about looking at pictures. Short and sweet, what we look for in photographs. That's right. And so I thought this would be a perfect kind of follow-on. Um, I invited um, an art gallery expert or... What, gallerist. What, a gallerist? Is that the, maybe the right... Gallery word? owner. Gallery owner. There we go. Um, sure. Catherine, Art dealer. This is Catherine Couturier. Mm-hmm. You can go as French as you want, but right. I usually just kind of say Couturier. Right. It's kind of okay. So, Catherine, this is Suzanne. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Suzanne. Now, I'm saying that as if like we're old friends, but I, we, we met at APAD maybe five years ago. Does that sound about right? It sounds about right. APAD, so. for our audience who doesn't know, APAD is um, sort of a, a gallery and dealer show in New York each year. And it's a, an amazing array of, of photographers and dealers. And um, I was there with Michael Shapiro, who worked mm-hmm. with us on our collection. And um, I guess I was walking around with uh, Jerry Ulsman and, and Maggie Taylor. That Do you work with Jerry and Maggie? Is that right? Yes. So I represent both of them. Oh. So um, I do think that's how it happened. I couldn't remember exactly. APAD's the 
kind of best photography fair in the world. So it becomes a little bit of a blur when um, you've been on your feet straight for a week and, and you're talking nonstop, but I think that is how it happens. And I think Jerry tends to introduce me as like, like we have more Yulesmans than he does. Or like, I think like it was something like collection that. is like. I've heard you you guys also have a very similar um, taste in photography. Yeah, you Catherine. Were... <laughs> I you know I think the thing where I really I mean I had met you at APAD, but it was looking at your Instagram feed, and every now and then you'd show a picture that you had just sold or was available, and every time you had a picture there, I'd look at it and think. I, I love that picture. That's like, I mean, it's pretty Oh, unusual. good. Yeah, it's like our tastes run very similar. What that means is that you have very good taste. That's exactly. That is well exactly. And I'm in any way niche. So, uh, so, so uh, where are where? Tell me about your gallery and and how you got into being a gallerist. So I own Catherine Couturier Gallery, um, which is the kind of premier Houston, Texas fine art photography gallery. Um, I, I came into it in a kind of unconventional way as far as how I became a gallery owner. I started working for a gallery that was in the same location. I've been sitting at the same desk since 1999, um, right after I graduated from college, called John Cleary Gallery. And John had opened in 96. I started working for him in 99. So I what learned kind of... What were you doing? What, what's a starting job like at a gallery like that? Like, what are you doing? So I'm fairly type A and, you know, take a lot of kind of um, ownership, I would say, of any job that I'm handed. Um, I'm big on anticipating needs and, you know, kind of figuring out the problems before they're even stated. So I think my job was probably supposed to be kind of doing inventory and helping sell things. And within six months, I was doing everything. I mean, I was doing all the invoicing. I was doing, I was planning shows. I was, I had kind of taken over. Um, and John and I worked really Huh? What a great opportunity. Well, I don't, I don't really think I know how to be any other way. Um, and John Cleary was while an incredibly great art dealer wasn't super, super organized. And so I was, and that became kind of a really good fit. And he just kind of kept giving me more and more authority to kind of make decisions. And he was teaching me things. And then unfortunately John got really sick um, after I'd been there for about eight and a half years and passed away a month after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And it was awful. And, but so I had my son who is now 13, who at the time was, 18 months old, I think on my hip because I took both my kids to work full time when they were babies. And, um, John looked at me and he said, we need to talk. It's not diabetes. It's pancreatic cancer. I'm going to be dead in a month. You need to figure out what we're doing about this gallery. And I went, what? And he goes, I don't want to talk about it. You're smart. Figure it out. So I was kind of like, Okay, so that night, I i mean, I just kind of went and did my job that day with my son. And then I went home and that night after my, after we put the little boy to bed, my husband and I kind of talked about it and thought, what would that look like? What could we do? Because John really didn't want the gallery to close. And so this was in 2008 and he'd opened in 96. And so he didn't want the gallery closed. He thought rightfully so there'd be kind of a you know, hole left in Houston, which absolutely would have been true because he'd made such a big mark. Um, but he didn't have a will. He didn't have a trust. He didn't have an estate. Like there was no, and I couldn't for a while buy all this inventory he had because mm. <clears throat> he had a lot because he'd been a collector for a long time before he opened his gallery. 
So my husband and I kind of, I think, sat outside and drank a lot of beer, actually, and <laughs> came up with what we thought sounded like a good plan, like how, how we could make it work. I have a, I have a question. Uh-huh. Like, is the hard, I mean, there's obviously a lot of complicated parts to the gallery business, but what what is the work to find new artists that you bring in? Like, how do you even, I mean, everybody wants to be in a gallery. Like, I I mean, I'm not even, this is, Neo Modern isn't even a gallery and people want to be in the gallery, right? They just want to be on a wall somewhere. And I can't even imagine, is it is it just your own personal taste? Like, I like this? Or is it knowing the market? Like, the world will no. like this? Or I'm discovering someone? And there's, like, what what is that process of finding talent? So it's, you know, I, I don't really deal with emerging artists all that much. So I'm not kind of actively looking for artists so much as I am just actively always looking at art. So we have a submission policy on the website. A lot of galleries won't even look at submissions. I do. I mean, I'll look at basically anybody's work anytime. If you send it in, it needs to follow the guidelines. One of that, one of the reasons is because I don't want to look at stuff just on JPEGs. I always tell people I don't sell JPEGs, I sell photographs. I need to see something printed, even if it's <laughs> just so. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, but I, even if it's just one thing and the rest is digital, I need to see something because, you know, more than 50% of the artistry is in the print, not in the snap, you know? That is not so, that's a waste um, people, by the way. I think that cannot be oh, emphasized completely. enough. That it's like that's one of the re- things that you and I bond over. It's like it's not photography if it's not printed. That's just not. It's not. It's, it can be. It can be photographic. You know, I don't know, but yeah, no. I sell a photograph. I sell a three dimensional thing. I sell ultimately a product that has to be well made. The same way if I was selling anything else. So first and foremost, it needs to be well made for me to even consider it. After that, I can kind of look at you know what the image is, and if I think it's images that'll appeal to my clients. You know, that's so tough to try to explain to artists a lot of times because they kind of come to you and they say, well, you don't have anything like mine, so you must need it. And it's like, no, I don't have anything like yours because I can't sell that. (laughs) So the trick is for an artist, look for a gallery that has stuff kind of like yours, but not exactly like. What stuff can't be sold? Like, isn't there like a taste for everything somewhere? But I mean, she doesn't represent that taste. Well, that's that's kind of the rumor, but also, you know, it's kind of not true. I mean, people will say, well, there's really no such thing as good art. You know, it's just personal preference. No, that's a lie. There's good and there's bad. Like there just is. Certain things are good and certain things are bad. And no, it's not definable necessarily, but people go, well, how do you know that X is better than Y? And I go, because I've looked at millions probably of photographs and my eye is trained and you may not like what I like personally, but in the gallery, I try to focus more on what my clients are going to like because, you know, I think of it very much that I'm serving a purpose to my artists, but I'm also serving a, a purpose to my collectors. I'm helping build collections, but I'm also helping my artists have a career or a better career or help shape their career. So if I'm only worried about my collectors, I'm not doing a good job for my artists. But if I'm only worried about my artists, I'm not doing a good job for my collectors. And somehow in the middle, something should be good for me too. Um, but that's definitely number three on the list. Um but so, you know, a lot of it's just gut, me going, okay. And every now and then I'll say, you know what? I don't think I can sell this, but this work is so good. I'm going to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, I've been doing it for 20 years, and I usually have a pretty good just kind of gut reaction to if I think I can sell it. Because, again, it doesn't help an artist at all to be in my gallery if 
they, if I can't sell the work for them, it just costs them money. It doesn't, I mean, just having a line item on your resume really doesn't do you any good. What can be sold? Are there any themes or something? I mean, again, where people are listening to this, they, they are not necessarily collectors. I'm just curious if there's stuff that you, when you see it, it's I like, mean, there's I definitely, there's definitely things that in general I can't sell. Um, that doesn't mean anybody can't sell. It doesn't mean no one would buy it, but you know, in general, if there was something, um, that's, I mean, I don't sell much that's really contemporary portraiture. Portraiture is probably the least purchased subject matter because it's the most difficult, really, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, the most sophisticated, whereas someone doesn't, it's it's kind of intimidating to actually be looking at a very direct portrait of someone else. <laughs> and if it's someone contemporary, then a lot of experience kind of gets brought to it. So you start thinking about cultural um, cultural situations, socioeconomic situations, like you start to really kind of think of who these people are. So a lot of times if I do sell pictures of people, it's from the 40s or the 50s where there's kind of this lens of nostalgia that we're all thinking about. I mean, I make the I make the comparison all the time that I can sell a picture of a poor black boy sitting on a stoop in New York City from the 40s. I cannot sell a picture of a poor black boy sitting on a stoop from the exact same stoop like basically you know the same look of of a face the same sit everything else but if it's too contemporary um that's hard to do that being said there's a lot of really great contemporary portraiture being done right now and people are selling it and people are buying it it's just not my market um same thing anything that's too political anything that's too religious i mean those are always going to be harder sells just in general because a lot of people don't you know, they just, they don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable. They don't want other people in their home to feel uncomfortable. And that happens, you know, if you start to get into kind of touchier subjects. Are these some of the guidelines that you mentioned? No, my submission guidelines are things, um, they're basically fairly straightforward, just little how to send me images. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons is because I do want to see something printed. Another reason is really to see if people can follow really basic directions. Because ultimately with a gallery owner or just a dealer and an artist have to work really closely together. And if ultimately if the work's great, but you can't work together, then the relationship's never going to work. I mean, I've had people I've sent back when I'm selling a lot of their work just because they were driving me crazy. And I realized I can't, I can't present work of someone I don't like anymore. You know what I mean? It's just hard when it's like, there's all these other people I do like, why wouldn't I sell their stuff instead? Um, but it's also, I need to know that I can work with you. And if you can't follow four steps or however many they are, I mean, there's things like one of them is we need something printed. I cannot tell you how many emails we get saying, hi, I see it says that you want something printed, but can I just send you a link to my website? <laughs> no. And now it doesn't matter what your work is because I can tell you're difficult and you think you're special and you can't think you're that special in this business because I mean, there are a lot of great dealers. There are a lot of great artists more of both of us are coming around every day. You can just not feel that special. Um, And you can't take things that personally either. I mean, I've already said, you know, one of the reasons, like the things I kind of look for to put in the gallery is I need, it needs to be well-made. It needs to be kind of well-conceived as well. You know, it needs to be a great photograph. And then, yes, I need to like it, but I need to think I can sell it. And so I see stuff all the time that I think is wonderful. And I know I could just work my little behind off and I'd never sell one. Do you have, um, is, it, is it like a small set of collectors that end up buying most of the stuff or is it yes. like lots of people just 
get one or two or one thing or like what's the audience? So a lot of people, a lot of people buy one or two things for a gallery to be successful. They really need real collectors, people who are buying and it doesn't go anywhere. Like it's not going on a wall. It's just going in a box under a bed. You know, that's kind of your bread and butter is people who are actually building collections because the people who are just kind of decorating while I love getting them into and they get so excited because they're starting out and things like that. And sometimes they end up being really serious collectors um, but they ultimately are the ones who go, I don't have any wall space. And I kind of go, what that's does that have to do with anything? Yeah, my parents always used to say that <laughs> like, the, the thing cares? that makes you a collector is when you run out of wall space and now you're storing <laughs> things and that's when you cross over. Exactly. You're like, I don't know. I mean, it's, I remember coming home one time with Maggie Taylor, who you brought up, she was having a price increase. And so I bought like five or something and I came home with them and my husband said, how are we paying for these? And I was like, ah, we'll figure that out. Don't you worry, your pretty little head. I said, you know, there was going to be a price increase. Like I had to do it now. It would be stupid if I'd waited. Um, and then he was like, where are we going to put them? And I go, honey, if I hadn't needed them, I wouldn't have bought them. You're acting like this is something I wanted. This is something I needed. It's different. So when you need it, you stick it in a closet, you stick it in a bed, you put it in, you know, wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people think wall space has something to do with collecting, then there's a, a finite amount they're going to collect. What do, you, um, what do you say to people like to, to when they're just starting out? Like, I mean, I've been, you know, I'm on the other end of this where I've got 40 years of like my family's collecting stuff and there's like a ton of stuff. It's a lot to manage. What do you say to someone that convinces them that they should start collecting? I don't think you can convince people. I think collectors are born, not made. Uh, I think that mm. those mm. of us who collect and who kind of are, are completists about certain things are the same people who, you know, needed every single cassette single and they had to be lined up in alphabetical order or by <laughs> order, order of purchase date, which I think is what I did with all my records and things. I mean, at that sense of needing them all and having to have them organized and going actively to search for these things, you're just either like that or you're not. Uh, my landlord talks about, he told me one time, he put it in a way I thought was interesting. He said, um, he said, I'm just not a consumer. He goes, I just don't consume things. Hmm. And I thought, yeah, some people just don't. They just don't buy things. It's not that they don't like things. It's not that they don't love things. They just don't collect things. Um, And there's something to be said for that. But I don't think you can turn, you can, the only people you can turn into collectors are people who are only doing it for financial reasons. And I don't think you'll find a single gallery owner who, that's their their goal. I mean, we all get excited when people are excited about the same things we're excited about. You know, that's one of the great things about this job is that we we all love art, and in this case, we all love fine art photography. And then you get to surround yourself by people who come in and get excited about the same little thing that you're excited about. I mean, there's something kind of magical about that. It's like when you see kids that are trading Pokemon cards or whatever it is, and I'm going, God, that's so dumb. And then I think, aren't I just sitting around collecting and trading pieces of paper? <laughs> yeah, like, they're just bigger Pokemon maybe. cards. <laughs> but they're Pokemon cards. That's stupid. Um, my, yeah, my father, no, but there's. My, my dad started collecting stamps. That's what I did when I was very young. So my husband collected stamps since he was little. And I always thought that his my father's photo collection was him just like ramping up his stamp collection. He just wanted bigger stamps. But it was that same <laughs> right. feeling of like, I've got three and I need the fourth one to have the whole set. Exactly. 
you know? Exactly. I like the phrase completist. I've never heard yeah, that completist. Exactly. He was a collector and he was a completist. And that's, that's what you want because it's also, those are the people who get so excited. And they're the people that as a dealer, I can go out shopping for kind of with their checkbook. And I could say, oh, well, I know Michael's got three of these, but he doesn't have this fourth one and he's going to be so excited. And that's really, really fun as a dealer. Um, There's also the chance to trade up in that way of like, exactly. you've got you've got that one, but a great version of it just came up. Like I can exactly. sell your crappy old one and I can get you this really nice one of the same right. thing. Exactly. Which and that's is always kind of fun. Super fun. Yeah. It's yeah. super, super fun. And and just kind of trading back and forth, trading with other dealers is always really fun. I mean, it's, it is, but it goes back to that thing of stamp collecting, baseball card collecting, whatever it is, wanting the best example, wanting all of them. You want your favorite players, not just every single baseball card, you know, that you want your team, you want your taste. Right. So I have a question. You've said you've looked at millions of photographs. What do you look for in a photograph? So John Cleary, who I worked for for a long time, said, and I think this is probably right, he said, what makes a great photograph is two things, drama and mystery. Hmm. And when I kind of listened to it, I was like, yeah, okay, that's a line. And the, the more photographs I see and the more great photographs you see, you realize that's true. There's something dramatic about it. Even if it's not, oh my God, look at me, bright colors, huge thing, drama. There's something dramatic and there's something mysterious. So there's pictures um, of all behind you. Can you talk me through, as you look at one of them, can sure. you uh, talk me through what it, what was the drama and what was the mystery of that photo? So let me remind myself what's in there. Um, so two of them are Maggie Taylors and Maggie Taylors. Absolutely. She's one of my artists. I've represented her for a long time and she's one of my absolute favorites. I think I have 15 of her pieces or something, which is a lot more than I have of any other single artist. Um, you know, everything kind of about Maggie's has this kind of mysterious, surreal, you can't quite figure it out. You can't, you don't quite know the whole story yeah. um, because she'll take, vintage pieces, found things. She'll take photographs of uh, paintings in museums, and then she'll do things like find bees on a windowsill and just scan them directly, or take pictures of flowers, a, you know, a leaf on the ground, whatever it is, and then she puts them together in Photoshop to kind of create this story. Um, but what's great about Maggie is Maggie doesn't really, she doesn't hold your hand while she's walking you through the story. So there's nothing all that direct about it, which makes them more mysterious more kind of interesting and you kind of want to figure it out um she the titles always give some sense of what she was doing but if you say to maggie maggie why did you why'd you start with that that figure why did you put a dress made of leaves and she'll go well i don't know and then that kind of worked and then i kind of did this other thing and you know there's no narrative there and so but your mind can't stop from making narrative and it changes i mean i had a picture of hers that i bought before i had kids and um, it's a woman, it's called Mood Lifter, and it's a woman and she's holding her own head up off of her shoulders, not in a creepy, you know, Halloween way, but just she's, she's a mood lifter. She's picking her head. <laughs> After I had kids, I kept thinking she was throwing, about to throw her head at someone. <laughs> <laughs> it was like this, like, I'm snapping, I'm going to use this as a weapon. <laughs> you still bring your own experiences to it. Maybe that's why our, our taste is similar, because I'm also not, I don't have a lot of contemporary photographers, like Maggie would mm -hmm. be 
the most content, you know, an active photographer now, but as you know, Michael Shapiro used to say, like, we only work with dead people. Like that's our, <laughs> well, that's Michael will say, and Henry Feldstein, who's another great private dealer will always say the dead are the better as far as artists, <laughs> which is horrible, and not at all how I feel about people. But there is that, that mindset of you can just do whatever you want. If you're just dealing in secondary market, Michael, of course, having an unbelievable, uh, just unbelievable collection. I mean, he always has things that I've never seen. I mean, he's the best. He is really amazing. He finds just like the the shot that you thought you knew, and then he finds the one print that the photographer made right before it that you've never exactly. seen anywhere. And <laughs> I have a question about titles. You mentioned that Maggie Taylor always gives a hint of kind of her storyline by what she titles it. So what is your feeling on photographs that are untitled? So... I was saying, do you all know who Mary Virginia Swanson is? Mm -hmm. Swanee. So she's a you know, photography she's expert. expert. She um, she teaches artists, uh, I mean, everything from how to put a portfolio together to how to approach galleries to, I mean, she's just kind of an expert as far as, you know, helping artists kind of have careers. Um, but I was sitting with her one time at a portfolio review and the woman sat down across and said, and Swanee said, well, how are these titled? And the woman said, well, I want to leave it all up to the viewer. And so I don't title them. And Swanee said, well, if you don't know what the pictures of, how am I supposed to know what the pictures are? <laughs> and so wow. I was kind of like, huh, that's an idea. I wouldn't have uh, had that point. I don't, huh? I don't think I would have, like, I sort of feel like I'm more of the school of like Cartier-Bresson. It's just, it's just a place you know, a place in a time. But at least there's a title. At but least at least there's, there's a title yeah. if it's a place in a time. Yeah. Um, because so from a gallery's perspective, because I am a store owner at the end of the day, from inventory standpoint, untitled or just dated is a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. how am I going to remember that that New York City street scene is New York 1972 and that the one that looks just, you know, one shade off of it is New York 1993 and it's this constant mm -hmm. thing Jerry Ulsman, who you've brought up, of course, untitled his for a long time. There's something different about Jerry doing it because we all just gave, gave him titles anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, because we needed to, but Jerry's get really tough because you kind of say, I need that one with the hands and the rock. Oh yeah. Well, that's 50% of Jerry's images. So then you start going, okay, I have, I need the one with the rock in the bottom left quadrant and water, <laughs> water dripping, not splashing. And so titles make things easier. I um, yeah. two two things about that. One is I was trying to recreate that original F sixty four show from the De Young, and they have lists of the pictures, but they're all you know Weston trees, Adams trees, rock. Yeah, it was like oh crumb. <laughs> it's really well, tough. And <laughs> well, I was looking at a print to maybe buy today, and it was just a city and a and a date, and so I emailed back and I said, hey, is it this one? And they said, no, it's not that one. So I sent another one. Is it this one? No. God, is it this yeah. one? Oh, kind of used to do and your dad probably did this too is you would have a you know your invoice and it would say something like reproduced x weston book page 62 yes, yes that's how and you, so you get all those notes and then you're like oh where's that book you know i thought that was for the provenance i thought that was to identify where it had been published i didn't realize that was to identify the picture sometimes i mean it, it was all of the above i mean mm. otherwise you know because when i started in the business it was 20 years ago so i mean even we we still looked at everything on a loop. 
you know, mm-hmm. I mean that you got, we had slides yeah. and that you couldn't show somebody something. Now it's like, you know, if my artist doesn't get me a high res, you know, JPEG in 30 minutes, I'm like, Oh, I can't believe I've ever waited so long when it used to be a, you know, six week process just to get an announcement card made. Is there a difference between the photographs that people put on their walls that they take and, or like beginning photographers and artists, like maybe consumers don't care about the drama. They just want a picture of grandma or can they work towards that? Are there even pictures of grandma will be better if there's more drama and mystery, or is that just too much to ask for from people? No, I'd say, yeah. I mean, you know, if you talk about kind of that example of just like a picture of your grandmother, well, what's going to make that a great picture? Well, not just something that just looks like grandma. I mean, who cares? Right. I mean, even if it's your grandmother, you'd want something that somehow is your grandmother, something that kind of is representing your grandmother, not just looking like her, mm-hmm. because all of us, we look at pictures of ourselves and we go, Oh, is that what I look like? Or we look at a picture of our parents and we say, Oh, does she look so much older or thinner or taller or whatever? Then we kind of picture them in our heads. So, you know, I'd say for portraiture, it's really about getting kind of that message across or whatever it is, you know, even if it's just a representation of your grandmother, it it needs to be like your grandmother, not necessarily what your grandmother looks like. I mean, I always say that one of the biggest lies is that a photograph is real, that, you know, all it is really is it's one person's perspective for a split second from a certain angle. I mean, you know, you can see a lot of photographs that, you know, like um, Henry Gelpin would go out shooting with Ansel Adams and they'd be sitting right next to each other. They still didn't take exactly the same picture and not because their cameras weren't the same and it had nothing to do with the film and had nothing to do with anything except that they were bringing their own experience and their own eye and what they were seeing that they thought was interesting. Um, I'd say that most people who take pictures all take the same picture. So it may be interesting to them because they've only seen it once. It's not going to be very interesting to me because I've seen it a hundred thousand times. How has being a collector influenced the way that you take photographs? Um, I don't think it has only because I've definitely never thought of myself as a photographer. Um, I mean, I had to take some photography. I technically took photography classes at Parsons in Paris because I was in Paris for my junior year and I needed some studio classes because I was an art history major. So it was required. I was a total disaster. I'm not patient. I wasn't interested. Like I was, I was interested in knowing how it worked. And then that was, that was the end of it. I didn't have any desire to make it or anything like that. I didn't like that my fingers got all yellow and brown from the chemicals that was always splashing on my jeans. I would always forget to close the enlarger and these like, I shouldn't say shithead, but these shithead art students from New York City all got together one day and were like, there was this one fairly broken enlarger in like one corner of it. And they were like, we've gotten together and Catherine, you have to work over there. Because I kept forgetting to close my enlarger. And I get it, but I was like, I haven't ruined any of y'all's stuff and I'm nice and charming and people don't shun me and push me away to a corner, but they did. And I was like, all right, Nobody puts Catherine in the corner. Kind of. And I was like, okay, like, I know I messed stuff up, but not that bad. It's just because I don't want to do this. Now you've got the last laugh as a dealer and they are trying to get you in the gallery. Now, knows. I mean, really, some of them could be superstars. I have no idea. I'd have to do the math and look back, but, um, But yeah, no, but I think that the fact that I've seen so many great photographs has to at least, if I'm just taking goofy pictures of my kids, there has to be some amount of education where I go, this picture of my goofy kids is better than this other picture of my goofy kids, you know? Um, But I definitely think of that kind of aspect of 
you know, taking pictures of my goofy kids as very much just kind of storytelling. And I think that most, I don't think of myself as an artist, but I think a lot of artists are doing that, that it doesn't have to be completely conceptual. I mean, that's not necessarily at all, but that there is some kind of narrative. Um, they're not taking a picture just for no reason at all. I, I've um, suggested that, I mean, I, I feel like I'm a really very competent photographer and my only photographic education is growing up around these pictures which is obviously really a fortuitous kind of opportunity. But I think that I'm pretty good because I grew up around these pictures. And I've made a case where I picked out sort of 50 pictures I grew up with. And I said to people, all you got to do is spend enough time looking through these pictures and the emergent properties of great photography will come out. You I can't explain it. I can't. I don't know what it is. It's not rules of thirds. It's nothing like that. You just look at these pictures and your picture taking will be different. It will be, and it'll improve. And I tell people that all the time, especially when you know school groups and things come in. They go, "What should I be doing?" I go, "Just go look at everything you can go, you can see. I mean, go to every museum show, flip through every you know museum catalog, whatever it is. Because even if your brain doesn't understand what it's learning, your eye does. And so maybe all that you learn is that you're not a good photographer. I mean, that that could be the lesson, you know? Um, because I definitely think there has to be something kind of inherently you know, creative about you and, and to see the world a certain way if you're ever going to make great photographs. But yeah, I mean, that kind of just visual education, you can't read, you can't just read about art and make great art. You've got to go look and look and look and look and look. And if you want to be a photographer, don't just go look at photographs, go look at everything. But I also um, think that curation is part of that. Like go look at a museum, go look at a, you know, a gallery catalog. It's not just flipping through Instagram because you don't necessarily oh. have that. There's no curation right. there. It's just everything so i think right. to make your eye better you have to train it on the good stuff to recognize the, the commonalities or what are these elements that right. these photos have in common what's the drama what's the mystery do you right what, what do you think of instagram huh? what do you think right. of instagram i think Instagram's great for what it is um i mean it's been really good for me as far as you know, I mean, it's fun for, you know, my private account, Kat Couturier, feel free to follow me, um, well, uh, you know, because it's kind of this visual diary and I can kind of tell stories. It's I think of social media very much as this social thing um, from the gallery's side, which is Catherine Couturier Gallery at Instagram. Um, it really is a way for me to kind of keep in touch with some collectors. I mean, most of the people that follow me aren't collectors, they're artists. Um, but I do definitely have some collectors that have bought from me just because they kind of like me on social media. And I kind of go, you know, when you talk about how many great photography dealers there are in this country and in the world, um, you know, I was at APAD one year and I was looking around and I thought, you know, I'm not, I haven't been doing this longer than everybody else. I don't have deeper pockets. I'm not necessarily smarter or more knowledgeable about one little pocket or, you know, anything like that. And so I was kind of like, what do I have going for me that everyone doesn't? And I go, in general, people kind of like me. And when you're dealing with something where there is more than one of them, like photography, well, what's going to stop someone, like what's going to make someone buy it from me as opposed to buy it some other dealer? Well, because they like working with me better. So I thought, okay, well, if that's all I've got, it's not 100% all I've got. Like I do know what I'm doing most of the time. Um, but my dad always said, why don't yourself short. Well, I can't he knows nothing. And I, especially in this business, I mean, there are so many times when I reach out to someone like Michael Shapiro or um, Steve Dater in Chicago or um, Scott Nichols in um, outside San Francisco, where I go, 
it doesn't matter how long I do this. They were there at the beginning. They've been looking at all of this stuff from the 70s, and I can't possibly catch up at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm very quick to call a friend and say, what do you think about this? What do I need to know? What don't I know about this? Um, you know, so I try to always educate myself on that way. But but back to social media. So but I thought if what it is is my personality, if that's my strong suit kind of, well, then social media is great for someone like me because I come across kind of like I am. Yeah. A lot of people don't know how to loosen up online. And so everything just seems like a press release. Well, that's no fun. I mean, this is supposed to be fun, you know? Um, so I try to keep that in mind. How do you come up? I mean, I think a big question that young artists have is like, how, how do they decide what things should be priced at? Like, what is the price of a photograph? I mean, so that's all about knowing your market. And um, I'm pretty good at pricing. That's normally I can kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit. Um, But, you know, when you're starting out, that's tough. You know, if you don't have anybody who's an expert to kind of help, um, you know, it's not 100% by square footage, but, you know, big things usually when you're starting off cost more than little things. You know, there's stuff like that. But there's, there's all this kind of psychology behind it, too, though. If you do everything at $100, people will think it's worth $0. So you don't want to overprice, but you don't want to underprice either. I'd say with photographers, if you don't have someone, you know, in the business you can reach out to directly, um, do a portfolio review someplace, like get yourself in front of some expert, because usually if they, if they're in the retail side of it at all, their gut's going to tell you pretty quick what, what they think you should be selling them for. Do you, do you um, think like PhotoFest is worthwhile for young photographers? I think it depends. Um, you know, I think that what am I, uh, there's a lot of pros to kind of portfolio reviews and there's some cons. Um, you know, I, every time I do one or especially the big ones, there's always some people who really aren't ready to be there. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that because that feels like, okay, they're not actually going to get their thousand dollars or whatever it is out of it. Um, and I'm always really, really money conscious of how people are spending their money to make sure they can get the most out of it. Maybe, Uh, maybe I should step aside. Uh, photo fest is this, um, festival of photographers in uh, Houston, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it always in Houston? And it's, it's, every always- other, it's every other year. And you basically sign up. There's a ton of um, experts, gallery owners, photo editors from magazines, uh, just the, every type of person who hires and finds photo photographs, mm-hmm. photographers. And, they're, and you sign up... It, it, back to back every day for five days where you get to spend a half hour with this person. They look through your stuff and they give you brutally honest feedback and then Mm -hmm. you go to the next person and there's really nothing like it. I've done it once. It was an amazing experience and it kind of made me feel like, oh crap, I don't really want to be in this world. (laughs) It was was really great. I mean, it's a lot of feedback and and you hear everything. Some people think you're a genius and other people think that you can't do a photograph to save your life and you think, Mm -hmm. really? The same? Like, just exactly. from one table to the next. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing is I always tell artists when they are young and if it's their first review, then I always go, don't listen to any one person. Take, you know, when you're done, take all your notes, don't make any decisions and then read over them later. You know, when you're not being passionate about it at all, mm-hmm. because ultimately if everyone's telling you the same thing, well then we're right and you're wrong. <laughs> but if it's all over the board and 20% are saying one thing and 50% are saying the other and 10% are saying something else, then you need to kind of take all the information and listen to it. Cause these are experts, but then, you know, you know, kind of 
chew over it for a little bit before you decide. Um, one of the things I think though that makes them not worthwhile is if people aren't open to that process because I'll have sometimes, again, only probably one per review that'll sit down in front of me and I can tell just by the way they sit down that the only thing they're interested in me hear, in hearing me say is, you're the best photographer I've ever seen, I'm giving you a show. <laughs> if that's not what I'm gonna say, then they have no interest in anything else. And so if it becomes obvious that's not what I'm gonna say, then they become aggressive or whatever it is. And that's fine, I'm a big girl, I can take it. But, but I always think to myself, they've missed such an opportunity because even when people sit down and they're not ready for portfolio reviews and they're nowhere near ready for kind of gallery shows and things like that, I can still talk for half an hour about pricing, sizing, additioning. Yeah. How I'm I mean, I've got, I mean, y'all can see, I can talk to y'all for the next six hours. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I did mention this is like a half hour show, right? You know, information, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's teasing, he's teasing. <laughs> I was two hours earlier than I am, so y'all got all the time in the world. Um, um, but, you know, that I can, I can offer a lot more you know, information about this business than just I can put your stuff in my gallery. It's also people think gallery owners are star makers, which we are not. Um, you know, yeah, that's great. And it looks, it seems really nice on a resume if you've had gallery shows, but unless I'm actively pushing your work or getting your work seen by other people or selling it, what, how am I helping you? You know, that that's my job. And so, you know, artists will come up and they'll say, oh, well, how much will it cost? I'll just pay for everything and I'll rent your space and I'll just put it on the wall. And I was like, that doesn't help you. Mm -hmm. Like that's not good for your career. So, um, you know, it needs to be the right fit for the right gallery with the right artist. Because again, you know, I may not be able to sell something that another gallery can sell all day. We just have different clients. We're in different markets. Um, and that's just the way that goes. Well, and also your um, reputation too. I mean, you wouldn't want someone just to rent your space and not be sort of on brand for what you're well, putting out too, right? For sure. And I mean, I take it really seriously that my name is on the door. And, you know, I've had artists where they go, can I install my own show? And I go, sure. But if I don't like it, I'm going to change it. It's my name on the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, aside, <laughs> from, aside from Maggie Taylor, like who are some of your um, – favorite photographers or I guess maybe people who you represent who you just love like the show we have up right now is a woman named Wendy Schneider who's been around for a long time but I had I'd known Wendy kind of on social media but I'd never actually seen her work in real life and there's like a white gold leaf element to it so they don't show online as beautiful as they are so until I'd actually met her because I was flying to Colorado because I had jury to show and I was doing a portfolio review I hadn't seen the work in her life and I didn't realize that I thought it was fantastic and that relationship's been going really, really well. What um, does that mean, a white gold leaf? Is that what it's printed on instead of like a silver foil or is there like so, something on the print? No, so she, what she's actually doing is she's printing on either vellum or cozo, so something kind of translucent and then she's white gold leafing the back of it. So anything that would have been white because of paper is now you know, the white gold, um, with Dan Burkholder kind of invented that process, but he was doing yellow gold leaf on the back, but his, um, images had a lot of kind of negative space where you could see a lot of that gold. Wendy's are really, really saturated with color. So you don't see it as much. It just kind of gives the shimmer to it. They're really subtle and really soft and really, really beautiful. So that's the show we have up right now. Um, I, I will, I, I, I will say that I've, I think one of the things I f first learned at PhotoFest was I, I hadn't seen a lot of different photographers, advanced, you know, who are working artists in photography, contemporary, what their physical works look like. And I was just stunned at the array of beautiful 
like that, like printing on vellum where they've hand sewn the edges and they've got gold leaf on the back and mm-hmm. like, whoa, this is so far beyond just like, oh, I took a picture. Right. And I think right. when I saw the array of like hundreds of people who were not just wonderful photographers, but great craftspeople of making these amazing objects, that made me pause. I felt like, oh, I, I feel like I take great pictures, but that's not. In fact, one of the one of the Knowledge interviewers said that to me. It's like, oh, oh, you're just a great photographer. That's not really what we're doing here. Like, lots of people are great photographers. We're at the next level. I'm like. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it has to be the whole thing. And the whole thing has to work. You know, some people, you know, I don't know what, 30 years ago, that kind of concept of, of, you know, conceptual art came in. And a lot of people are running around and they come up with a concept and they forget to make it art. They just have concept. And then a lot of people, same thing. They'll come up with this great process, but they forget that that actually needs to work with the art you're making. It all has to go together. And so if you're all just process or all just concept, nobody cares, you know, it like artists will kind of like other photographers will care because they'll the same ones that want to talk about what gear they use and lenses and stuff like that, because they're only thinking of how it's made. Whereas for me, I'm like, okay, you did this, you made this interesting thing, but you didn't do it in an interesting way so who cares you know that it all has to go together so the print style and the paint and the paper and the image and I mean the whole thing has to work as one thing because ultimately when it's done it's just one thing it's just one piece of paper I know but I will say that it's one of the things I like about sort of the mid-century modernist stuff that is in our collection and that I'm drawn to is because it is it, it 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 really is just a beautiful print, but it's not. It's still prints, yeah. It, but there's no gold leaf, and there's nothing, no concepts. It's just a great photograph and nicely made. And to me, that's enough. That's like where I want to be. I'm not collecting contemporary works that where they have to keep moving the line forward. It, it was enough that this person was sort of pioneering this stuff and saw things in this way and. I don't know. Well, it's funny because um, because um, I was just talking to a group and I said, you know, more types of photographs are being made now than have ever been made. Because as you know, just like with people who you know now want to, they're twenty five years old, and they want to lug around a typewriter to type on, even though hi, we've moved on as a civilization <laughs> from that. Um, for those of us who had to learn typing on a typewriter, um, but as people start getting more technologically advanced and start making these new things, people become reactionaries and start running back the, the, the other way. So there's all these kind of antiquated processes that were never even good processes that are still being made. And people will say, Oh, well, I'm for sure going to always do dye transfer prints. And I'm like, why they're more expensive. They're not stable. like digital prints are better the colors are better there's blacks like there's all these things but they're like nope 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 not doing it i'm going back the other way i'm going back so um but that really makes it interesting when the person gets the process and the piece and they work together i mean i think you know something talking about mid-century modern if we're gonna say like Let's take a picture of Brassai. Well, if Brassai had put a lot of shiny stuff on it, it wouldn't have made a bit of sense for his work. It wouldn't have made sense to be printed on glass. It had to be kind of dark, dark, dark and kind of seedy and, you know, have all this this kind of black in it. And that was the way to do it at that point. So even if he had had other processes at his disposal, he wouldn't have chosen them. They wouldn't have made sense with his work. Um, same thing with Cartier Brisson, Duano, you know, any of those guys. Do you remember the, the last <laughs> photograph that you've sold? <laughs> 
I sold an Elliot Erwitt um, two days ago of Robert Frank and his wife dancing in Valencia, Spain. So yes, I oh, remember wow. the last. Wow, we'll have to put that's that in the very, show notes. That's yeah, so that's cool. a very interesting picture. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. You may have and not known it was Robert Frank. A lot of people don't know it's Robert Frank, but if you just look up Valencia night. Oh, 1956. That's terrible that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's a couple dancing in a kitchen. And if you look on the back wall, it says RIP Papa because Robert Frank's dad had just died. And so, and Elliot was in Valencia where Robert Frank and his wife, Mary were living. So they used to be big friends. I would like to see that picture. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh man, Catherine, I really appreciate your spending some time with us, even as your kids are running around. Exactly. in tutus and the and, like yeah um, exactly and maybe we could have you back to keep talking about collecting sure. and, and anytime that, talking is my favorite thing just period point blank we like it too yeah we, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure having you oh good well thank you so much for having me i'm totally honored and i feel like i've learned some things it's great that's great no i think people will really enjoy the show it's very different we usually are talking to photographers and i think this is a nice um kind of good. orthogonal way to look at people picture taking yeah it's a compliment yes Good. all right we're gonna wrap it up the massive thank you to Catherine couturier for being on our show tonight had such a lovely conversation our show is produced and recorded in san francisco go to neomodern.com podcast to get show notes see photos and post comments please leave reviews and ratings on itunes and don't forget to subscribe we get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word if you know someone who might get something from us send them the link thank you to Catherine for joining us to hd buttercup for the cool stuff that we're sitting on fully for our lounge out there and to mitchell foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us we appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about until next time